Sixers Beat is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts. And because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals, with prices up to 60% off. You can watch Joel Embiid and Rudy Gobert battle it out in the paint tomorrow night for as low as $13 with the GameTime app. And GameTime will provide you with panoramic seat view photos to make your buying decision easier, and with the two-tap checkout that will make getting in the building one of the easiest tasks you'll perform today. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, buddy. It was uh, another back-to-back in a in a stretch of back-to-backs for us, but uh, not not too bad, you know. It, how was your Thanksgiving? Oh, Thanksgiving is. I mean, I I think I say this every year. Thanksgiving is far and away my favorite favorite holiday. Uh, it helps that I actually enjoy my family. I know everybody does not. Yeah, necessarily have that luxury, at least not for extended periods of time, but add in family and food and it's, it's a tough one to beat. Always yeah, is. That helps. And, and the buildup is not too, too much either. Not which... as stressful. You don't have to worry about gifts and the stress that comes along with not only finding them, but then waiting to see whether or not they're well, well received. No, there is, there's a lot less consequence to, uh, to Thanksgiving, which you're, I appreciate. You're not one of those people who, if you turn on the six o'clock news after dinner is already hunting for black friday deals or something like that there have been a couple of years where i had a very specific target in mind that i have i have gone black friday shopping and i have regretted it every season i have just resigned myself that if i have to pay a little bit of extra money to keep my sanity i will i will happily do that yeah all right back to your 76ers one what are they at seven of the last eight games nine of the last 12 by and large, they're winning basketball games, and they're winning basketball games consistently. And I don't think the general discourse, if you just followed like online reaction about this team, I'm not sure you would necessarily pick up on the fact <laughs> that they are 14-6 and six and have won seven of their last eight games and are still undefeated, what is it, 9-0 and oh at the Wells Fargo Center. And to be fair, I think there's some truth to that. Like They've had one of the easiest schedules in the league up to this point. Their schedule of late, you know, the the Pacers was a real legitimate win, uh, even though the Pacers were on a back to back and traveling, and that makes it a little more difficult. But that's a that's a legitimate team. So are the Sixers too. So Sixers are on a back to back too. Uh, the trip from New York to Philly was probably a little easier than yeah. from Indy to Philly, uh, but they they were on a back to back too. They had the the blowout win against the Heat recently. That was a real legitimate win. But they've had a couple of decent teams. By and large, they've played a, a an easy schedule. And have taken care of business, a sort of a lesser version of the Los Angeles Lakers, who have also had a really easy schedule, but have more consistently taken care of business. So by and large, good. But I think there's still some things holding fans back from being all in about this team. And I guess this pod will take a step back and and sort of, you know, they're pretty much at a quarter of the season mark. Take a step back on our thoughts on the team, on how they're progressing towards that finals contention. So I guess we'll start off with the big man. Had the offer against the Raptors, which spurred on a lot of discussion, and some of it rightfully so. I mean, we've expressed concern about him against some of the better defenses. 
and has been pretty dominant ever since. Uh, I, I forget the exact stats. Uh, you probably have them. I think you wrote about it recently. Uh, but over 30 points a game in the three games since that over. And I think one of the things, you know, Toronto sort of highlighted how teams, I think, are doubling Embiid more than he's ever been doubled. And highlighted how a team like Toronto can be successful in doing that. But I think he's been pretty aware of the double teams of late. So I, I guess we'll start this off with a temperature on how you think Embiid has handled the defensive attention thrown his way and what kind of progress, if any, he has made in recognizing double teams. I think he's gotten a lot better. I think that's that's certainly fair to say. Um, I'm looking at his stats over the past three games. Yeah, 30 points per game, 15 rebounds per game. Uh, what's the shooting here? 48 20, 90 shooting, but the the free throws are the big thing there. 14.7 free throws per game. And also 2.3 assists per game, which I think undersells how well he's reading double teams. And I think it's something that we're going to have to track moving forward is how many times he gets doubled and he'll make a hockey assist. Because it feels like he has done a better job over these past three games of quickly recognizing where his outlets are. And, and yes, I, I agree with you. It, it felt like after the Toronto game, when they were brazen in how they doubled the Sixers, and they did it from every angle, and, and it there was a sort of disorganized chaos that Toronto, it looked like they wanted to play with, and they also have very good defensive personnel that the last three teams have all done that to Embiid, and he's done a nice job. I'm thinking about the, the Knicks game. There were a couple times when it was either two or sometimes three passes when Embiid got doubled, and then James Ennis would hit a three in the corner. That that comes straight from Embiid. So, yes, I have been, uh, I've been impressed by how he's handled these double teams. It, it's come differently. Sometimes he'll put the ball on the floor and, and then make a move. But, yeah, that that's the progression you want to see from him. The, the first – objective when he catches the ball in the post is always score but he's done a nice job of playing off that scoring mentality when they bring that double and quickly finding his teammates so it's been a you know that game was obviously a disaster there's no way around it zero points is insane uh, we have the most respect in the world for Marcus all but there's no way he should be holding MB to zero points but his response against three teams that are not as equipped to guard him. Although I will say Indiana has a couple of very talented big guys. Although it seems they like do. he's, he's always dominated them though. Like yeah, I think he Miles like, Turner, especially. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, but against those three teams an, an excellent bounce back. And after the game, he said that that Toronto game has motivated him. I would add in editorially that he's played three worst teams, but that's what you want. 15, Free throws per game almost. And I think his passing has been great. So even even though the three-point shots have not been going down quite as much, it's been a great response from him. That looked like the MVP-level guy we saw at the beginning of last year. Yeah, there's... I mean, it, it, it's like you said, the Kings, you know, he's going to have success against Dwayne Dedman. That's just... Rashawn, and, and Rashawn Holmes. I mean, that's just... he's he's That's a much different beast than Marcus Gasol. Uh, he's going to have success against Miles Turner. He always has. So it's, on the one hand, like the scoring of 30 points, getting the free throw line as much as he has. 
that's probably not like if you're concerned about him against the handful, not even a handful, the three or four teams that can throw a big man at him. That's probably not going to quell your concerns. But the next step I've always wanted him be to take is as a passer, is as using the attention that he's always going to get. And even from Toronto, look, we can talk about Mark Marcus All, and he was huge in his ability to sh- to shut him out, l- literally. But they had to send double teams to get that impact too. And if he can more consistently make them pay, or at least make them second guess, like a, a hesitancy in their willingness to do so, a step slower in those rotations, it will it will help you know overcome some of these struggles he's had against these top teams. And I do think, you know, and Bede loves to point out when he owns real estate in someone's head, I do think there's some of that to his struggles against Gasol. You know, I think he, he goes between trying to take what the defense gives him and, and pass around and then trying to speed himself up. And it it can look a little discombobulated against uh, Toronto at times. And he's got to figure out a way around that. But I think the approach over the last, three to four games, even that Toronto game, I thought his approach was okay in terms of passing out of the double team. So I think his approach has been, you know, I think you're going to need him to make that next step. I and mean, we, we talked about it a couple weeks back against Denver. Like that's a huge deal. I think if he can become that really good passer out of the post and use that attention, he draws to help his teammates. And I still think, I feel like at times I like the approach over the last couple of games a lot. I still feel like at times there's, it's a second slow, a step slow. Like he, it's just whether it's it's the recognition of the double team or the execution of the pass out of it. Like I, there's an optimal point where he could hit his teammate and, and get an open shot and get the opponent in the rotations. And it just feels like it's a, like I said, a, a half step slow. And some of the passes aren't always on, on target. Like the other night against the Pacers, you know, he had a diving Ennis and he overthrew him by about four feet and it ended up going into uh, Furkan's arms in the in the corner. Like his his passes aren't hitting people in pockets quite as much as you would hope. I think that might be part why we're seeing a lot more hockey assists, but also you just don't have like there aren't many quick trigger shooters on this squad. There aren't many no. elite even cutters on this squad. So I think you're never going to take maybe like optimal value out of his passes out of the post. But I do think the um, you know I, I I think the approach has been pretty good, and if he can sort of find that balancing act between you know punishing mismatches and passing out of double teams and making them pay. Like I said, you just want to give the opponent a little bit of hesitation in sending that double as aggressively as they have been. And I think he's I think he's made steps towards that for sure. Yeah, there were a couple of plays against Toronto, specifically in the fourth quarter where it seemed like he figured out those double teams. I remember Neto got an open 3 because he hit a guy on time. And that split second of hesitation you're talking about to me is really important because that is what you lose when you play against good defenses. When you play against Sacramento, it can be a little off target. You can be yep. a half second late and find guys open for three. But when you play against Toronto, you gotta you gotta be on time, and the pass has to be on time. It's uh, I was thinking it's a good thing that the guy that he struggles against is Marcus All, considering how much shit he talks against everybody else in the league. <laughs> But the one guy who pretty much owns him, if we're being yeah, honest, Mark's not gonna talk. Yeah. is the nicest guy in the league <laughs> who famously consoled him after he uh, he was crying after the Kawhi shot last year. So I, I, I guess that works out. He doesn't have to sell any any real estate in his head to to Marcus. So yeah, but yeah, no, I've been I've been very encouraged by his passing. It, it to me for the first time in his career, 
there is a little more consistency to it. It's not perfect by any means yet, but it's a very important skill and it looks like it's coming along and that's good. The first couple steps in a big man really becoming dominant and in, in, in attacking those double teams. First, a willingness. Second, a recognition. I think we've seen progress in both of those. And now we'll, we'll see whether or not they can make progress and capitalizing on that a little more frequently. But good initial signs, which considering the low of the low against Toronto, bouncing back has been has been what you want to see. I guess let's move over to the Sixers other star player who receives just as much, if not more scrutiny. And it's really been, you know, on the, on the one hand, ever since that that corner three that he made. We haven't seen any real willingness has outside it- of those two, as you would say. Garbanzo beans turnaround jumpers on the baseline. We haven't seen anything at all in terms of a jump shot. He made one last night too. That yeah. was that was garbage. We have seen a little more aggressiveness from him offensively in attacking cool. the rim, and we've seen some outstanding defensive play. And look, I'm always loath to. You can't bring up a positive about Ben without somebody being. It's it's a it's the NBA version of whataboutism. Yes, uh, we can't. Talk about his defense without being somebody being like, well, yeah, but he's hurting your half-court offense or you need more spacing out of him. You do need more spacing out of him. We fully agree. That's why we talk about the jump shot so much. But his defense, you know, a lot of it, a lot of it's coming down to stretch in terms of what we recognize. But I think it's really been there more consistently than it has been at any time in his career. And it's been, I mean, the way he's taken over the last two games has been fantastic to watch. And, and by the way, steals and conversions that you really needed to pull out those wins. Uh, you know, we will kill him whenever they try to run a post for Embiid and he's gumming up the paint or whether, you know, they're running a pick and roll for Tobias Harris and he has no idea where to be off the ball. And if that comes in a big spot, we will kill him for that. Well, his defense and what he brings to you on that end and in transition has been front and center to a couple of wins here of late. And it's been a, you know, he, he does not get the recognition he deserves on that, that end. I don't want to say he's perfect because he does have some lazy lapses where he, he reaches and then gets caught in trouble. But I agree with you. The consistency has just been there. You even look at the Toronto game. I had this in my story. I think Siakam shot two of five against him. Yep. They were screening every play to get Siakam off Simmons. Now, that was also a reflection on Cork Maz and some of these other defenders. Ennis had a really tough night against yeah. Siakam, which is fine. I mean, Siakam's a monster. But one-on-one against Ben Simmons, he made two shots. He made a three where Ben kind of dared him at the beginning of the game to shoot one. And then Ben deed him up on another play where they could they tried to screen and get the switch, but Ben was able to fight through it. Siakam does this bully ball drive to get to the basket and throws up a pretty garbanzo beats floater, and it, and it luckily went in. It was good defense by Ben. So even in that game, you're seeing excellent defense. And then what, there's not much you can say about last night's game at the end, except that's a super athletic guy making a couple of ridiculously good plays. And and the one thing I'll say, because the, the second one, the inbound steal, reminded me a lot of the play he made in New York the night before. It's not just that he can make that steal at half court, that he's big, he's long, he's physical. He gets his hand on that ball initially. It's the reaction in the split second afterwards to know exactly what to do. And and it could be a different thing because in New York, that was to tip the ball past R.J. Barrett, tiptoe on the sidelines, 
and then go from zero to 100 for a dunk. Speaking of zero to 100, holy yeah. shit, that chase down. Yeah, yeah the, the block last night was unbelievable. So, yeah, I mean, he, he makes some just jaw-dropping defensive plays. And beat at one too on uh, on Brogdon holding up on him one on one. They for a team that didn't guard anybody on Saturday night against Indiana, the Sixers did have a couple amazing defensive plays. But back to the steal he made on the inbounds against Indiana, the the presence of mind for him to get his hand on that ball and then quickly fling it right towards center court. Maybe a little bit lucky because he's just throwing it out there trying to save it, but d- deservedly so winds up in the hands of Tobias Harris. And, you know, after that really tough Tobias stretch, miss layup, bonehead three-point foul on T.J. Warren, inbounds pass gets, or uh, entry pass gets stolen and beat. For Ben Simmons to just completely take that game back and get two steals at the end of the game on defense, as he's a unique player, man. And that's uh, that, that's a guy just stepping up and making a couple of, of key plays. But, yeah, we, we could be... Uh, the the tenor of this podcast could be a little bit different, even though the margin of the game was was basically about the same. Yeah, and he, he, even the steal he had on what was it, Brogdon who threw the pass, uh, where he helped out. Like he helps out with uh, like a purpose. He wasn't just helping out. He had a a, a plan in mind. Like he was yep. the awareness was very good, and the combination of effort and defensive profile and awareness. It's I mean he really should be if the his offensive game wasn't so divisive. I think he would have an easier time making an all defensive team this year, which it's absurd that one factors into the other, but it frequently does, but he is certainly playing at an all defensive level. And also about Harris, you know, he had that just brutal final minute against the Pacers, but he's by and large played very consistent basketball here ever since he got off of that yep. 0 for 23 Schneid, you know, he's averaging 20 points on 53% shooting and 44% from three over the last nine games has had, Played really well at all three levels. You know, he's gotten to the rim. How, many, fr- get to the how line. many free throws is he shooting? Per Not game? many. Uh, three point three a game. Uh, feels like he's getting there though. It, it feels but, like he's getting to the rim, but not getting um, fouled. I guess. Yeah, he's. I mean, he has a little bit of a finesse game around the rim, which I'm not sure he's ever really going to get out. I mean, it, it, he converts well in those situations, so it it, it sort of has plus and minus. I'd rather see him get to the line more often, but I think at this point you just kind of accept him for what he is. But he's he's played very well. And and by the way, dropping twenty a game, only one point eight turnovers. Her over that span as well. He has played really consistent basketball and, and basketball that day. They, they needed him to play. Is it $180 million basketball? I, I don't know about that, but he's playing, he's playing very well and they need him. Um, and, and also on the defensive end, the one of my favorite plays from the Toronto game, and from a positive standpoint, there weren't that many of those. At the end of the game, he got switched on to Van Vliet and he just stoned him one-on-one. Stripped him, moved his feet. It was it was great defense, and you could tell after he made the play how excited he was that uh, that kind of all the hard work he has put in is paying off in big moments. I remember he had a couple of big plays against Portland at the end of that game defensively. He's getting better on that end, and, and he, we, t- we talk about that a lot. But he, you know, it, it's like you said: is it a hundred eighty million dollar game? I'm not sure about that. But he's certainly trying to improve in every way he can, which is he's a he's a good guy to have around for sure. We hear a lot in the offseason, the preseason about guys coming in and devoting themselves to defense and and trying to be better on that end. And nine times out of ten, it's horseshit. 
not that people don't want to try, but like it's a really nice soundbite, especially when you know that your your weakness is defense. And and by and large, so much of defense, not everything. I, I think we we sometimes take make too much of it. Um, I think defense is a lot about physical profile and athleticism and awareness and, and, and processing the game. But some of it is about habits too. And it's tough for a bad defender to change those habits that they've had for years and years and years, which have made them a bad defender. But I think by, uh, Tobias is the edge case here. Like, I think he really has committed himself defensively in a way that he, he never has before. And I think he's been a much more consistent player. You talk about him standing up Van Vliet. He's had way more of those moments so far in 20 games this season than I can ever remember him having in, in previous years and certainly during his, his, you know, abbreviated season with the Sixers. It has been, it has been good to see. I, I just looked up on cleaning the glass. He is shooting 69% nice at the rim this season. That is the 85th percentile. Yep. And that's, uh, that's if you look at his career, he's usually around 60 or 61. So that's a, a major improvement. And hopefully, you know, I, I think that's an indication of he's, figuring out how to attack the mismatches in the right way. And yes, there, there is a little bit of finesse. He's shooting these, you know, these three foot half hooks and, and floaters that he puts up soft off the glass. But he, to me, it looks like he's driving with a little bit more of a purpose and that, that has paid off so far. Yep. All right. Let's head on to more discussion about the Sixers bench. But before that, a quick word from stock X ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers. The ones that barely hit the shelves. The answer is stock X, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. Millions are already using StockX to find everything after it sells out, from the latest Yeezys to every retro Jordan to the hottest new streetwear available today. With StockX, there's no hassle. StockX handles the exchange of every transaction, so you never have to worry about legit buyers or sellers. And now you can shop smarter than ever, using real-time market data for everything on the site. Rest easy knowing you'll never overpay shopping on StockX. You'll also have peace of mind about the authenticity of the product you're buying. Every item bought or sold on StockX is carefully inspected by hand to ensure it's 100% legit. Their experts go above and beyond to make sure you never get burned by fakes. StockX has removed all the risk from buying and selling online. Want in on all the hype? Check out StockX.com slash bball for a surprise offer that won't be around long. That's StockX.com slash bball. Check it out today. And now back to the show. Let's a little bit about the bench. We've had a couple of interesting bench games. You know, it seems like Brett still doesn't really know what he wants out of that backup point guard spot. <laughs> uh, there's a, a little bit of a carousel going on. We haven't had the Josh Richardson. Well, first of all, we haven't had any Josh Richardson here over the past couple of games. What is it? A hamstring soreness. Hamstring? Yeah, Tightness, hamstring. yes. Tightness. So we haven't had any Josh, but even before then, we didn't have much Josh at the point. And then you've had Howell Neto and Trey Burke sort of bouncing back and forth on who Brett wants in that backup point guard spot. So we have that sort of situation in flux. We have Matisse Thibel, who has either a great game or really struggles. And that's <laughs> sort of what you expect for a young player. That great game was great, though. Oh, that was fantastic. Yeah, no, he had a, a really great game. He pretty much might have been, outside of Embiid, the reason they came back in that game. You know, I think there's still a lot of uncertainty with this group. But I do think, you know, James Ennis, he obviously had... That incredible game against the Knicks. But I think he's been playing more consistently than he did last year. And look, he's making shots. Well, what what is he shooting at this point? Like 30. I think you had he was in the 85th percentile of catch and shoot players, 87, something in that range. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know his exact number from three. Shooting. Hold on. 
43.9% from three-point range. That'll do. He will not keep shooting 43.9%. Throughout the season, he can be a streaky shooter, that is for sure. But his decision-making this year seems like it has been better than it was last year. His drives seem slightly more under control than they were. Like, I don't, I don't hold my breath every time he sends that YMCA pump fake and goes driving into the lane. Like, he seems like he's, he's a little bit more under control. Yeah. And I think as we've seen sort of everyone from Korkmaz to Thibel to Neto and Burke sort of fall in and out of Brett's favor, having him be the one consistent, and, and Mike Scott's sort of really struggled here of late as well, Having Ennis be the one sort of consistent, the uh, the adult he is, James Ennis, has been uh you know a s- real stabilizing for this team. <laughs> I like that. Uh, Mike Scott, by the way, cannot hit a shot in an open gym right no. now. I the, the game against Sacramento on Wednesday night. I don't think I've ever seen anybody. I've never seen him more off. He turned down shots. He would get open threes in the corner and just be like, "Nah, I'm passing out of this. Like, I today is not my day. Here, somebody else take it." I've never seen him do that. He was passing the Thibel. Who was yes. more contested than him? And I was thinking, you know, not a terrible decision considering what I've seen the night. That was, by the way, that game was insane. I think Thibel shot three of three from three. The rest of the team was two of twenty-two. Yeah, that's that's pretty amazing that you win that game. I know that there were some problems defensively for a little while. O- offensively, the turnovers in that game, the second quarter, were pretty bad. They they've kind of sucked at the end of second quarters recently. Regardless, to to win a game when you shoot five of twenty eight from three and Thibel is the only guy who can make a shot, you'll take that. Yeah, Ennis is. You know, I, I like you said, even on his drives, I thought he made some really smart drive and kick decisions last night. You would not expect him to be the one who was under control going into the lane. The point guard competition, it's it just feels like it's going to be on the seesaw the whole year, and. Are are you a little worried? You know, I looked it up. Ben Simmons is not in the top 20 of most minutes played in the league. I guess he missed a couple of those games with the, what was that, the shoulder? So yeah, so yep. that, but he's playing a lot of minutes in some of these games. And, and as much as we, you know, complain about his, his shooting and, and what that does to the offense, he's pretty valuable when you you can't rely on on Neto or Burke, but you know it's something we talked about before the year with Ennis. He's a little bit older. We saw him play well in that playoff series last year. He just he's just a reliable guy in that uh, reliable. I guess is the wrong word. Here's why he's more reliable. Unlike Thibel, who if his defense is not at some crazy level, there's a good chance he's not going to contribute much because the offense just isn't there yet. If Corkmaz is not making shots, I know he's been a little bit better defensively, but he's going to get attacked. And boy, did he get attacked by yes. TJ Warren in Indiana last night. Ennis is okay at, at both of those things. Maybe he, he can't get on quite the hot streak that Corkmaz can when he's shooting the ball well, although he did, he did a nice job in New York for sure. And as you said, you know, Plus 40% from three, that that's nice. But he, he can make a three, he can play defense, he can contribute in a bunch of different ways. So if one of those things is not working, he could at least be contributing in another way. And I thought it was a, an easy decision for Brett last night. At the end of the game, with Richardson out, they went with Ennis, and he actually made a, a huge poke-behind steal of Jeremy Lamb to, to steal them a possession with a little over a minute left. So yeah, I think... You know, he's 
he's a quiet guy. He loves being the, the go guy, the rebounder. But as somebody who we've seen perform in a playoff series, you, you can see that he's just going to be there and he's, he's going to be that steadying presence. Yeah. So I guess going back to Korkmaz um, a little bit, because like you mentioned, he does have the capability of getting hot. And we've we've seen that not not in a little while, but we've seen that from time to time. It just it feels like and he got obliterated defensively <laughs> uh, yes, against the Pacers. And it, it really does. You know, it, it, it shows that for Brown to keep that level of a defender on the court, they must really need his offensive skill set. And you just. Everything Korkmaz does, it feels like he's just like he's a 10% quicker initial movement away from being a useful NBA player. Like if his first step was just 10% quicker or his lateral quickness was 10% better, you could find a way because he does a lot of stuff in terms of shooting and moving off the ball. He he drives sometimes with a purpose and a creativity that this team doesn't have a lot of. And you wish that it would actually result in like useful NBA play more often. But it just feels like his athleticism holds him back from doing that at any kind of a consistent level. And when his shot isn't isn't falling, it can be uh, it can be tough to watch. And even some nights when it is falling and he can be attacked like he was against the Pacers, it can still be tough to watch. Yeah, with the athleticism too. If he could jump ten percent higher, if those yeah. shots weren't floaters, they were either dunks or you know plays where he's trying to draw contact at the rim. Or if he was a 10% better shooter, to be honest with you. I mean, he's at 36% from three. I get it. He takes a lot of them, and some of them are difficult, but some of them aren't. Some of those are wide open off of Embiid post-ups. You know, I I think for him to be an actual useful NBA player, he's got to get into the low 40s as a shooter. And and he's gotten a little bit better this year. So, you know, after... You know, after struggling in his first couple of years, maybe he was struggling ad- adapting to the NBA line, gained a little confidence playing for, for Turkey this year. He certainly doesn't seem to lack confidence, although, you know, he's had some rough stretches over the past couple of games. He had a stretch at the beginning of the Sacramento third quarter where Richardson got hurt and, and Brett started Korkmaz at Ooh. the be- at the beginning of the second half, and he had four to call it disastrous minutes is not a stretch. It, it reminded me a lot of Jonah Bolden in yep. the Nets series. Yeah. Yep. And then he goes to Thibel, and thank God he did because Thibel played out of his mind. But yeah, there's there's too much of that right now. He is, uh, I wouldn't say he's earning his rotation minutes at, at this moment, but because the Sixers are shorthanded with Richardson and, and the point guards are not necessarily differentiating themselves he's continuing to get time here no it is i mean if you go back and look at it just from a box score perspective against the pacers and you know 12 points three of seven three point shooting two steals in 22 minutes it it seems reasonable and then you go back and you watch the game and you know it was not a net positive performance from cork Maz at all and he hasn't really had you, you probably have to go back to the spurs game since he's had like an actually good game and it does sort of bring up what they're going to do about the wing rotation and, and really the bench rotation in general in the playoffs. And I, I worry about playoff work on quite a bit. Uh, and that'll be our next topic of conversation as we dive in the mailbag. Before that, though, a quick word from DraftKings. DraftKings Sportsbook is officially available in Pennsylvania. As a trusted leader in daily fantasy, DraftKings has brought their expertise to legal sports betting and is already America's top rated sportsbook app. 
With so much going on this week, you'll definitely want to take advantage of the convenience to bet wherever, whenever with the DraftKings Sportsbook app. This week, DraftKings has a pro basketball promo that you won't want to miss. It's simple. Bet on Philly to win. If they score 76 points first and end up losing, you get your bet back up to $25. Plus, DraftKings is based right here in the U.S., not offshore, so you know your funds are safe and secure. And if you're already betting in PA, bet with another book and take advantage of DraftKings' great sign-up offer. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now and use code TOSS when you sign up. For a limited time, all new users can get a free bet just for signing up. Plus, when you make your first bet, you can get a risk-free bet up to $500. Don't forget, sign up with code TOSS to place your first bet, and you can get a risk-free bet of up to $500. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And now back to the show. We're going to go to the mailbag. Um, We got some questions from the Twitter. And what we're going to do is we're going to end this podcast on one mailbag question that we have here. And then we're going to release a second podcast, a subscriber only podcast, which you can get to by going to the athletic.com slash Sixers beat. And there are all kinds of deals, 40% off of a yearly subscription. These will be subscriber only. So if you want the extra pods, head on over there, check it out. Uh, We appreciate it. We also, I mean, we've, we've had a lot of content here over the past couple of days. Some of it is even decent, so you get that written content as well. Quite the salesman, decent content. But this one from Greek Mill, at Gregory the Greek on Twitter, uh, like the name. Do the Sixers target three point sh- a three-point shooting wing or literally anyone who hits outside shots? So I think, you know, like I said, it, it sort of goes back to, I don't know how you can, like you I don't feel like you can trust Matisse Leibel. And, and really the answer to this is hopefully Matisse Leibel becomes that off the bench, three point shooter. who You can trust offensively. That seems like a tall task for a rookie to make you know, rookie playing who right now clearly shows some rookie mistakes. Playing a conference finals is rare. I don't think Brett is ever going to fully trust Burke or Neto. That would maybe, and we've seen some more, dual point guard lineups of late. Like I think it was against the Knicks where he played Burke alongside Simmons a lot. Played him in the Iverson role. Yep. But I'm not sure that's a playoff solution either. So outside of Ennis, you don't really have a lot in terms of reliable wing depth. So do you target a wing or do you just target more of a skill set? Well, it's like we always talk about. Simmons' defensive versatility allows you to target skill sets. I, I would prefer if it was a wing. And, and to me, the most likely addition this team is going to make, considering the the assets they have, which are, are pretty good, even though they're down a first-round pick, I believe. But they, they have a lot of seconds. But just the, the matching salary and, and how they're going to be able to to get these guys, whether it's in the buyout market or via trade, to me it seems like, and, and I know people aren't going to like this name, but Uh-oh. it's going to be like Bellinelli. Uh-oh. It's going to be a guy who is a a three-point specialist wing who does not do a lot else, but is more of a reliable three-point shooter. It's also Georgie the Greek, by the way, who asked that question. I, uh, that, that guy's, I... oh, that guy's comment a lot on Twitter. Shout out to you, Georgie. Yeah, I, I called him Gregory. That's not, that's not right. My it's not I correct. Play, no. I played tricks on me, yeah. So... 
Yeah, it's it's tough because like on the one hand, would I be confident in Bellinelli in a playoff? No, like I'm saying like somebody some... besides Bellinelli. No, but, no, no, but... I, but in that mold, even like it, it is you wish they had the assets to really like they're one high level bench piece away. And that's sort of what we said at the beginning of the season. And it doesn't feel any less true now that we've seen the season play out. And especially now that, you know, a lot of times they prefer because they want to slide Horford to the, the five. They prefer to bring a, a wing off the bench and and and. Largely, that's been Ennis, and then at times the second wing that came in during that first shift has been Korkmaz or 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 Thibel or whoever it, whoever's sort of the, the flavor of the week in terms of the backup wings. So I think they would prefer to upgrade. I I mean, true truly, if the best shoot, if the most playable playoff player is a point guard then you bring them in and you run a, a dual point guard lineup and you slide your wings around and use your versatility to your advantage. If the most playable person available is a wing, then you you do that. Like, I do think it is shooting and playoff playability and who can hang defensively. You know, basically, if you can find another James Ennis, find another James Ennis. If the, the, the right person is a point guard, then you make it work. Um, so I think shooting, yes. But dribbling and defense too, and, and finding all of those in one person available at the deadline or as a buyout will be, will be a tall order. Well, let me add that I think dribbling and shot creation. If I had my druthers, I would probably target shooting. that. But yeah. that's harder to get at the, you know, at the level at the store the Sixers are going to be shopping at. A quality player with that skill set, they're uh, they're hard to get. If you can shoot, dribble, and defend, you're usually uh, you're usually pretty highly valued. I'm looking at the uh, when Simmons and Horford play together, they are at 117.9 points per 100 possessions. Yeah, I, offensively, so I looked at that recently. That's ridiculous. It's it's absurd. I looked at that recently um, in my stat of the week, where I, I basically looked at some of the numbers of the um, of the five man unit and, and what's projectable and what you think is going to stick around, and and the TLDR of it is that you spe- expect their defense to be great all year there might be a little bit of a regression coming offensively. Um, I th- Honestly, what I found the most interesting, two things I think were interesting. First of all, how much all of your star players' ability to get to the free throw line has dropped with the uh, starting lineup. You know, Embiid basically goes from picking up like one foul every 3.3 minutes in all other lineups to one every 8.5 minutes with the starting lineup, and that's concerning and you worry. You know, some of that might just be that he's playing against tougher competition, or, or, or some of it might be that the spacing sort of encourages him to shoot more jumpers. So it'll be interesting to track that. But the second is, well, actually the second is that their shooting profile tends to look a lot like what their defense is designed to force their opponents into. And very by and mid, large, very mid-range heavy, very mid-range heavy, not a lot at the free throw line, not a lot at the rim. And they're on fire for mid-range, right? They are 48%, they are. right? And, and that's another one where you worry, all right, there might be a little bit of regression coming. And and by and large, the starting lineup has been fantastic, like plus 21.3 net rating. But you wonder whether that might come down to earth a little bit. But the third takeaway was that the lineups with four starters but without Embiid has been incredible offensively. And you've seen the drop defensively, but they've been incredible offensively. And how much of that is legit? And And those minutes have been almost as high as your entire starting unit. You know, I do think that Simmons and Horford form a pretty natural two-man game. I think their their skill sets complement each other pretty well. 
and you've certainly been able to unlock a lot more out of Al at the five than you have at the four. So back to your point, does that mean you can target, you know, be a little more selective in who you target because you have sort of Al taking a larger role because you have Simmons who can maybe attack a little bit more? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, it seems like you have the framework, even with a little bit of regression, with the four starter lineup where where all you need is a guy who can just make the open shot. And, yeah. and don't screw it up for the rest of these four guys because they're playing at a super high level. It's it's funny how different Horford is when he plays at the four and the five. And it's pretty much the same story we've seen throughout his career. In Boston, the defense was unbelievable when he and Baines played together. And, and they were about as good as when he played the five, but they were it was a different way. When he, when he got to the five, the defense got worse. He got to even average or slightly below average but the offense got a lot better. And that's exactly what's happening here, except even more so because when he plays with that starting lineup, like literally nobody can score on them and, and their offense is below average. And it doesn't matter because they're holding people to comical offensive efficiency, just, just brutal. But when, uh, when Ben and Al get in the game, it turns into a, a more normal, fast paced, good offensive team. And, and they get away with even slightly below average defense because, you know, the formula of Simmons and Horford and even Harris with space, it's, it's just, it's been better than I think even I thought coming into the year. Yeah, no, the, the offense has executed well. And, and like you said, the defense with that starting unit has been uh, just world world class. Um, and we're talking about a, a low amount of minutes here. I think it's like 102 minutes. So you expect, uh, you know, that will have to withstand the test of time. But they have been... They have been as advertised so far. All right, I think that's a good place to cut it off. Yeah, don't they, sign Be- don't sign Bellinelli because he are, he still has me blocked on Twitter. I don't want to have to deal with this again. <laughs> My uh, which I I don't think we like we never we don't make it a point to at players on Twitter whether we're saying something good or bad. So you sort of have to go out of your way to find our criticisms. I have Marco Bellinelli blocked me. Uh, Jeremy Grant has me blocked, which I'm surprised because I think I was always relatively pro Grant compared to most media members. And Lou Williams is my uh, on my block list. So. I don't have them, but unfortunately, I can't see when Marco photoshops himself on Rocky. <laughs> so, which now the president is also doing. But besides that, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> he. Uh, I, I don't. I don't really want to watch that uh, again. But I, I do think it'll it'll likely be someone in that ilk of of shooter. All right, sounds good. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on. Like I said. Be on the lookout for a mailbag-only pod. You will have to be an athletic subscriber to hear that one. It is sort of a perk for those who we thank very much. Thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.